With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed universal heavyweight champion, Wildcat Radio 2.0, bear down. You beautiful people. What's up, Wildcats? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I am Adam Green, joined once again by, by Brett. I can't talk today, Brett. <laughs> by Brett Barry. It's better to be a Wildcat now than it was this time last week. False. It's always great to be a Wildcat. But greater. <laughs> more great. You feel, you feel better as a Wildcat fan this week than you did a week ago. Right? Arizona, going into the weekend, we saw they were taking on Utah and Colorado. And Utah wasn't very good. We knew that going in. And Arizona dispatched them pretty easily. 93-77 in a game that wasn't even that close. It was as comfortable a win as we've seen from Arizona in a long time where they just dominated the entire way through. And then the question was Colorado on Saturday. Colorado was ranked, and it was a chance for Arizona to have their first win over a ranked team this season. What differed from that game compared to the other chances was this one was at home. So the question was, would Arizona's success at home translate against a ranked team? And in this case, it did. It was arguably the best performance we've seen from Arizona this season, certainly the best performance we've seen in the last month. Yeah, and that, the the interesting thing that I think falls in line with the things we've talked about with our frustrations with the team in both its ceiling and floor, I don't even think they played to their highest ability in that game, and they they gave Colorado the best effort they could, according to Tad Boyle. Yeah, oh, that's good. Yeah. He <laughs> but, said after as they got the best from the Wildcats, they didn't play their best, which is classic coach speak. Yeah, I mean, but if you... I, from Tad Boyle. Yeah, but I mean, like, if you look at it, like, I think our assist-to-turnover ratio was not that great, and there was a lot of missed bunnies, you know, shots around the basket. There was clear areas for improvement, and we still beat handily a really solid team. Yeah, the score was, the final score was 75-54. To your point, Arizona had 13 assists and 11 turnovers. So, yeah, the assist-to-turnover ratio wasn't great. But otherwise, Arizona, only 10 of 13 free throws. They didn't get to the line a lot, but they made shots. Right, Arizona made nine to twenty-two three-pointers. Max Hazard continued his great weekend. He looks like he's starting to round into form and be the player that Arizona thought he would be, and quite honestly, needs him to be. But it was a game that again, where Arizona was a little bit of a slow start. But once Arizona got going, they were off to the races. And Colorado, the the nice thing about this game was Arizona never let them back in it. The entire second half, you never saw that Colorado run that would take this fifteen-point lead down to like four or five. I think maybe it got to nine at one time. And then Arizona just pushed it back like, oh, yeah, well, that, that was it from Colorado. And Colorado isn't as good as Oregon, I don't think. They're certainly not as good as Gonzaga. They're not as good as Baylor. But they were a good team, and that's a good win at home. And I, I'm excited about it because it's nice to see them play well again because we know this team's ceiling, or we think this team's ceiling is incredibly high. When they play well, they can beat pretty much anybody in the country. 
but we hadn't seen them do that in a while. So you're saying you don't think this was their best effort. Ted Boyle disagrees. <laughs> but, but regardless, this was a sign, or at least it was a time where we got to see Arizona look like a good basketball team that could compete with at least what was then the number 20 team in the country. But that's, that's big because yeah. it's, again, we got to see it. We don't have to think it can happen. We saw it happen. Yeah, I th- don't don't misinterpret what I say. I'm just saying that I don't think you fire. You know, if we're an eight cylinder engine, I don't know if we had all cylinders going. But I think if you go back and look at what we talked about the last week or two, right? The things we wanted to see um, from player execution, effort, focus, consistency, right down to Sean Miller even making uh, adjustments in terms of strategy and tactics within the game. Um, you know, which has been a topic of concern amongst Arizona fans. With good reason. Yeah, and I, I think all of that criticism was fair. We had some of that criticism. And I think you saw a lot of the things that you wanted to see that make you feel, yeah, our our faith in this team in terms of what its potential is was not uh, unfounded. Um, you know, that being the case, you know, I think you're, I think you're right that <laughs> I feel like Oregon is the poor man's Gonzaga, and Colorado is the poor man's Oregon. <laughs> um, so it's you know you're taking a couple steps down, but that's certainly a quality win. Um, to your point, I do think the bugaboo right now on this team is can you do this when you're not in the safe confines of McHale Center? Yeah, and, and that's just it. Now the good in this game, like you've enjoyed reminding me how you've been calling for someone to run plays for guys like Max Hazard to get him going. You're pumping your fist. People can't see that. I can. Is that how podcasts work? They can't see this? <laughs> this one's not on video, <laughs> unfortunately. But or fortunately for our listeners. Hazard had nine points against Colorado. What do you have, like 24 against Utah? Some, uh, something like that. Uh, the three ball was there for Max Hazard. And that's the type of player where we've talked about it before. Sean Miller teams have really had, really never had, a three-point sniper. A gunner who they could just count on to. They haven't had a Salim Stoudemire. I don't know. Most teams don't have a Salim Stoudemire. That's rare, but not even like a Kyle Fogg. Gabe York was kind of that guy when he got going, but he wasn't consistent. Max Hazard came to Arizona build as a guy who could get hot from three and be a scorer. Now, we wondered what maybe just he was adjusting to a role off the bench. He's used to more minutes at UC Irvine. He was struggling. Well, at least for this weekend, he looked like the time. I think he one of his threes, you could see him yelling, I'm back. If he is, Arizona's ceiling just got that much higher. Um, other things that happened, Ira Lee got more minutes, especially with Chase Jeter out. We should talk about that, too. Chase Jeter with his back spasms. I'm going to put that in air quotes. There's a lot of people who doubt um, the validity, at least the seriousness of his injury. At any rate, people wondered what would happen with Stone Gettings in the starting lineup. He's the one who got the start instead, and they spaced the floor. So now you have Stone Gettings who can make three-pointers. You have Max Hazard who can make three-pointers. Mannion, Green, Dylan Smith, they're all capable of shooting out from the outside. That's huge. But we saw that. And then the, maybe perhaps the biggest thing that we saw against Colorado was a defensive philosophy shift from Sean Miller, having them switch on ball screens, on inbounds plays, where with this lineup, with this team, you should be able to do that. Yeah. Part of the joy of this team, part of the advantage is you have these long athletes who are quick and bouncy where, yes, you don't want Zeke Naji guarding McKinley right the entire game, but if he has to switch every now and then, he should be able to do that. So... I don't know if that's the strategy going forward for this team, but it shows that that's an option for Arizona, and there are going to be certain situations where that's necessary, and to see that they can do it, that's another big step. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, you covered so much ground there. There's so much for me that I want to unpack and comment on. Oh, you, now you, show's over, Brett. I got it. I'm <laughs> smart. <laughs> no, um, 
Because, yeah, I, I do think some of the, if you go back to things we were talking about last week, you know, to pump my, my fists in the air again that our, our he listeners He did it again, see, by the way. That did um, You know, I, I, I did... I did want to see Stone Gettings by hook or crook get into the starting lineup because I think that makes sense. And it happened, you know, and there's Chase Jeter's back spasms. And you alluded to some people questioning that. And I'm not going to be one that's going to question a guy's performance um, in terms of physical uh, ailments. Um, It's kind of one of those things I'll take him at his word if he's not ready. Right, right. Um, And honestly, if you're a... He's not exactly a bruiser. Um, He's more of a finesse player. And if you're if you don't have the ability to finesse people and you don't have that like mid-range game then are you are you adding value or are you not when well, you're on the court let's let's go there with Chase Jeter being out because we had talked maybe he wasn't the right fit for this lineup now granted I want Christian Coloco and I think what we learned this weekend was that the the sport of college basketball is not ready for Christian Coloco to get starters minutes because at that point the game is peaked and there's no reason to have college basketball any further so Sean Miller's doing a favor doing NCAA a solid by not starting Christian Coloco. So they instead went Stone Gettings. And it's easy after you win two blowouts to say, well, they got Gettings in the lineup, Cheater, yep, that, that's how it should be. <laughs> they're better off without Chase Jeter starting, let alone maybe not even playing, which they're better with Chase Jeter somewhere on the team mm-hmm. and on the floor. Is it that simple? Because it's a two-game sample size. Stone Gettings didn't exactly light the world on fire, and yet he does play hard, he does play smart, and he has an outside shot, a three-point shot, that Chase Jeter doesn't bring. I'm going to take your question and reframe it a little bit. But it was a great question. It was, but I think the underlying issue here and what showed up this weekend is what we kind of also alluded to in Sean Miller making adjustments. And Ira Lee getting more minutes, you know, that Ira Lee getting more minutes might make sense in that matchup. And especially if you're going to take this type of defensive philosophy, because he's not that tall of a big guy, and he's able. There was a lot of plays like our friends at AZ Desert Swarm isolated a couple of those plays, and you know had some videos that showed it where they were showing those switches mm-hmm. on the screens, right? And that works against a certain lineup. That's probably not going to work against Isaiah Stewart and Washington, right? Um, so I don't know if we can say that those two games are enough to pinpoint on Chase Jeter versus... Like this Stone. is Arizona's best self. Yeah. It, you know, what is the best lineup for the other team? I guess is what I'm trying to get to. Um, and we have more... You know, the depth that we've talked about all year is there. And part of that is it enables Sean Miller to say, hey, this isn't the game for Coloco because... Whoa, 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 whoa. All games are for Christian Coloco. Yes. Okay. He is, he is the greatest thing that has ever happened in the existence of anything ever. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's basically all of the Monstars and Space Jam plus Michael Jordan combined. But he didn't have to steal anyone's talent to get there. No, he He is the source of everyone's talent. (laughs) Um, No, but, (laughs) you know, I I think, so I think, I guess that's my way of saying, I think it's almost oversimplifying it in that regard. Um, Because I think... You know, when we play Arizona State, maybe because of Romello White as a matchup, that's more Christian Coloco. You're going to go mano a mano with him in terms of rebounding. Because or, we don't know if Jeter's going to come back in yeah. time for that game. Um, so I, 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 I'm hesitant to say that it's this or that, and that's what it is going forward, because I, my gut tells me that that's not the plan going forward, and I think Sean Miller is going to play those matchups more. And to his credit. 
that's probably the right thing to do. Because I think, you know, we've talked about if this team plays to the best of their abilities, they don't have to adjust to somebody else. Right, right. right. But that's there's a difference between that and saying that you put your players and the lineups in the best position to succeed. And I think maybe that's a sign of growth for Sean Miller, as opposed to maybe previously he'd be a little more, we're running this eight-man rotation, these minutes, deal with it, get better. It's also roster growth to be able to do that, for Sean Miller to have the right talent and the right mix of guys where he can say, yeah, I can match up with you. I could put out a lineup that kind of meets your style and be better at it. Like, that's the yeah. thing. And obviously, like, when they play against Hopkins Zone and Washington, Arizona's not going to... I mean, it, it's a different lineup, right? They're not going to play a zone better than a team like Washington can. But if Arizona can set, roll out different lineups to, quote-unquote, match up with whoever they're going against and outplay them with those lineups, that's a great sign. And I don't want to get as high over this weekend. I think, you, I think you're right when you say it's too simple to say that's their best lineup. You could see why it would be one of their better lineups. Because when you can open things up, when you can space the floor. Now, what will happen if they keep going with Stone Gettings is teams are going to sag off of him and dare him to beat them from three-point range. And he's made some, like, he can shoot. Like, yeah, I, I don't threat. worry about that. But if he can consistently do that, it's like the zone busters that we've been wanting to see from Arizona, they have them. They have This team should have more shooting than we've seen from an Arizona team in a long time. And I do believe a healthy Chase Jeter has a role on this team. Yeah. I do. And we said some games aren't for him, and yet... We know what he's capable of, especially if he's healthy and his mind is in, like he's into it. But unlike last season, we can. There's a direct correlation. Last season, when Chase Jeter was out, the team fell apart. Yeah, I was. I was literally going to say, if you look at last year, there's no matchup on an opponent matchup where Chase Jeter was not the part of the most viable option to right. win, and that's a product of it kind was of a, the lack of what was available on the roster. Right. You you have you have more talent, you have more versatility in terms of matchups that you can this year that you didn't have last year and it's again it's trying to find what is what is the best successful matchup for your opponent now which is different than saying you're changing who you are right right well and the hope too is that you start to have that depth show that you can mix and match on any given game any given night where mm-hmm. what worked against colorado may not be what you need against asu which may not be what you need against washington and washington state yet you have the ability to find whatever you need and that's where this weekend and the qualifiers, it was at home. <laughs> and you mentioned at the friendly confines of the McHale Center, Arizona's looked really damn good at home. Even in their loss against Gonzaga, who we know is really good, Arizona didn't exactly play poorly for 40 minutes. They played really well for like 15 minutes and then poorly for another 20 and then really well again for another five or so. But we know what they're capable of in Tucson. We haven't seen it transfer to the road. But I guess the hope at this point is this weekend was a sign that they're, they are growing. You know, we hoped maybe that was the case so when they beat ASU and then went up and should have beat Oregon. It's like, hey, this team competed. Maybe they figured out and they laid that egg against Oregon State. So it's, it's hard to get really like, yeah, they're ready. They turned the corner because we've seen them have weekends like this before. We've seen them have performances like this before at the McHale Center. Now, I don't know if ASU, McHale North is a true test. It is technically a road game. I was going to say... Officially, it's a home game, <laughs> but technically, <laughs> so. But I, what I do take away from the weekend was that this team's ceiling is still every bit as high as we thought it was, if not a little bit higher, with guys like Max Hazard doing what he did. Because if he can be, if he turned a corner, if he found his role, if he is comfortable now, 
then that gives Arizona another weapon for scoring and someone to break those zones and someone can come in off the bench and get you, what was it, uh, nine points in 16 minutes against Colorado. Which is what we've wanted from the beginning, right? And that's yeah. and he had the track record in, in the NCAA tournament too, so not exactly, you know, he's done it before, so we knew it was possible. And, that you know, we talked about it the last couple of weeks that he just always seemed to be stuck, right? And, like... The, in the Utah game, I think I texted you. I'm like, oh man, I'm. They're literally calling like double screen plays to get hazard shots early, and that's when he started hitting them, right? And you could just see his like, he's got such a quick release that he is such a weapon that makes the defense adjust to them. That it's really nice to see, and so I think, I I don't think that was a an accidental thing that Max Hazard got those kind of those shots manufactured for him to get him going, and he's a game changer for it, them. Oh, it it fundamentally changes what the both the floor and the ceiling are in my mind. Yeah. Um, I, cause the ceiling certainly got much higher. You know, if those shots aren't falling, you know, maybe it doesn't move the floor that much, but just the threat and knowledge that he is a threat and will open up for better shots so inside. The ceiling could become the roof. Sure. <laughs> I, I, isn't that the phrase? Is that a phrase? It was, I think, for North Carolina when they won the national championship. No? Okay. I don't know. Let's not talk about North Carolina and U of A basketball in the same sentence no, this That's season. fair. You know what we should talk about, Brett, is Simply Safe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, fun story. I bought some Girl Scout cookies today. Girl Scouts come up to the door. My dog goes crazy. He's like, go away. I'm like, come on, dog. I want to buy cookies. If I had Simply Safe, I wouldn't have to worry about anybody, Girl Scouts or anyone breaking into the house. It's... Like getting commercial-grade enterprise-level security, but for your home. I could have had that for my home, and Girl Scouts couldn't have got anywhere near. Don't need the dog to scare them away, because I'd have security. Like, th- Think about security the Fortune 500 companies use. They need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately, Girl Scouts or otherwise. It's exactly the kind of security you'll get from Simply Safe. So if there's a break-in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime, and that means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. That sounds pretty good. Right. They could have got here before I bought the cookies. I mean, if if your dog is your only eyewitness, he's not a reliable witness. So no. having that kind of observation will really help your case. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. Uh, with Simply Safe, you get comprehensive protection for your home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your home. Entry motion, glass break sensors guard inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning. All of these are things that you don't want to have happen, but if you have Simply Safe, you'll know they're happening before they're a real problem. It's all monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. You can get set up yourself or with, you know, with no tools needed, or you could have one of Simply Safe's experts have it done for you. And you know what, Brett, best of all, it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. No, no pun intended, but what a steal. <laughs> so just go to simplysafe.com slash overtime today and get free shipping on your order, plus a 60-day money-back guarantee. Remember, that's simplysafe.com slash overtime to save on home security today. SimplySafe.com slash overtime. By the way, would you like some Girl Scout cookies? Because I have a... No. (laughs) But the nice thing, back to basketball. There was nothing scary about the last weekend. It was nice. And we went into it just kind of... I guess where Arizona is right now, back to being ranked again, which kind of surprised me. It doesn't really matter being in the AP, but ranked number 22... People believe in them. The numbers, the net rankings, the Ken Palm, everything believes in this Arizona team. And yet at 13-5, and five, with losses to the good teams they've played pretty much and Oregon State and St. John's, it's, it's, 
the computers like them a lot more than the eye test does. So what do we trust more? Uh, neither. <laughs> can I can I can I say that? It's a cop out, but sure. I mean, I think I cuz I would challenge the notion that the eye test is something they fail too, right? It's just that they're inconsistent, right? Cuz I think Gonzaga and Baylor are they're one and two now, right? Like yeah. Baylor moved up. They're uh, number 1 now. Yeah. Yeah. And we played both of those teams very competitively, right? Uh, we were remiss last week in Illinois. Are, are they still ranked? Because they were ranked last last week after I've been patting myself on the back for saying that was a good win. Yeah, you're also beating yourself up for not mentioning they were ranked. And now you went into the show not knowing if they're ranked. Truth be told, I don't know if they're ranked either. You know, we're, we're trying to get away from that whole show prep idea. Get away from it. Keep, we We've <laughs> never gone near it. Um, you know, I so I, I don't think the metrics lie... I don't think the eye test both in the good or bad perspective lies. And I think that the, the metrics themselves kind of tell the blend of what we see with our eyes, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because like, and that's what we're talking about. We don't exactly know what the identity of this team is in terms of what it's capable of. We um, think we do though. We th- Yeah, we think we do. And we have, you know, we have, you know, evidence in favor and evidence against, right? Um, and that's and that and that you know that boils down to the theme of the season that I always bring up is inconsistency, right? And to kind of go back to even like the the Colorado game, the you know you're talking about the the switch ups on on defense, right? You know what I, you know what I thought when I was watching that? That's a interesting way that they clearly spent a lot of, they clearly spent a lot of time in the week coaching defense and prepping that this was going to be our approach, and in doing that, it kind of got them out of whatever you know, running through a routine or here's kind of how I do it on defense or maybe it's just fundamental flaws and how, how our team is able to communicate and rotate, rotate on defense. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it would just have, you know, Colorado was prepared for it, but it seemed to me like the effort was more consistent. And I don't know if just having that change in defensive philosophy and doing that switch was a way of manufacturing a little bit of consistency. Because I was, I was looking at like our, our past outcomes and it's like, the reason, you know, you said we didn't let them make a run. Well, that shows up in the fact that they only scored fifty-four points. Yeah. You get the only way the other team makes a run is if you get inconsistent on defense, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we were mostly consistent on defense, and I and I think part of it might have been that. And to, in my mind, that's a you know tip of the cap to Sean Miller. And there's a subtle thing of of motivation there, right? Where so you're saying is Sean Miller might be able to coach. You mean like maybe we shouldn't fire. Uh, the guy with the 750 winning percentage <laughs> at Arizona. Like maybe he after. knows a little bit of what he's doing. And there's a lot of people who think he's way too stubborn sometimes. And I think every coach at that level is stubborn to a point. You have to. Absolutely. Be. You have your system and you recruit to it. You coach to it. You don't want to admit that it's not working because especially when you're this long into your tenure, you should be able to have guys. You have a program. You don't deviate from that for one season unless you absolutely have to. But the idea that Sean Miller was a bad coach or doesn't know how to coach against his own defense, doesn't know how to change his defense, come on. Yeah, I mean, well, that, <laughs> that's, that's a little oversimplified and incorrect. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think you and I both agree that we understand the criticisms, but like, come on. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, we've talked about it, I think, a few times, and I think this last weekend was maybe some evidence of growth of Sean Miller as a coach. And we even talked about it early in the season where he's letting the team play through some yeah. questionable decisions. And the, you know, I referred to the couple of times where he's like, just 
there's a shot of him just putting his hands out to the side like what do you expect was going to happen guys <laughs> like there's something to be said for letting the young guys or even your veterans fail a little bit to learn some lessons that i think the challenge is and the question we keep asking is are they learning the lessons and it's like it seems like it's always two steps forward one one and a half steps back but it's what he's trying to do in, in terms of like what we we're talking about with max hazard calling some plays to get him going the defensive adjustments maybe that kind of loosening the reins a little bit maybe not in just terms of like letting nico Mannion go run on offense but changing things up a little a little bit of change of uh, approach can do wonders for these guys that are have been practicing, you know, nonstop for months and months, and they yeah. just go through the go through the motions because it feel it sometimes felt like that's they get stuck in that mindset of like go through the motions, and especially the young guys, and it's like the you know the people that have been there three four years, they know their t- their times running out, like we talked about talked about last week, that you you need to be ready for it, and that, otherwise you're gonna get Oregon State guys that are not as good as you that are ready to go more than you are. And they're ready to put it all in, on the line and go 110%. Let's continue the Sean Miller conversation we were having there. I don't know. I think Arizona fans right now are feeling really good about Sean Miller. Whereas a week ago they weren't. And a week from now they might be feeling like we don't know. It's the fickle nature of Arizona basketball fans. But the gist of it is that if you believe in Sean Miller enough and you believe in the talent, the young talent getting where it needs to be in the veterans, getting back to what they can be, this team could be really, really, really good, even if they've just been really good up to this point. We're both we're both fans first and foremost, but I think yes, I'll I, be wearing U of A stuff Saturday at McHale North, yelling and screaming and hoping for a win. And I will be with you. Yes, <laughs> um, you know, but that goes back to where I've said a couple times: like things are never as good or as bad as they seem in the moment, and sometimes you have to remind yourself of that. I certainly do. Um, the people that were, you know. The people that want to blame Sean Miller, I, I I understand the frustration, and at the end of the day, he is accountable. But accountable does not mean you're either the greatest thing ever or you're fired. Right, right. There's a lot of gray area. There needs there needs to be some perspective. There needs to be, you know, some patience. I I know that's a hard thing to say for fans because unless you're winning all games all the time, the highly competitive person will be like, well, you know, if you're not first, you're last, kind of thing, right? And like I, I get it, um, but that being the case, it's you know, for the people that are his calling for his firing, I think the biggest criticism that was legitimate was that Sean Miller was too stubborn, right? Um, and I think most people would agree to that. And but it seems like he's losing stubborn. I, I mean, they all are, especially the high level pl- coaches, right? Because um, like <laughs> the high level coaches, once you reach a certain point. You recruit players for your system. They come to be there to be in your system because they know what your system is. Right. So you don't need to change it. You don't feel like you should have to. And to yeah. an extent, you probably shouldn't. But I think it goes back to kind of what we talked about last week where it's like in the Blue Blood programs these days, a system kind of does not, you know, a system and talent doesn't guarantee wins. Right. Um, when you don't have experience and the guys that know what it really takes to win. Right. Um, and so I think it's, I think there's a case of Sean, and I think it shows up in, in, even in his recruiting and Sean Miller's recruiting strategy of guys he's going after, it's not just five five star guys these days. Zeke Naji was not, you know, a top twenty five guy. He should have been. Chris <laughs> Christian Coloco should have been the world's first six star. <laughs> uh, um, but you know, like 
you have any Arizona fans that, that say, <laughs> sorry, listeners, I cracked at him up with this. Yep, that happened. Joke. <laughs> um, it's funny because it's true. <laughs> maybe even a seven star. <laughs> um, you know, so it's like, and I think, you know, Sean Miller's not accepting the Josiah Turners anymore. Right. Um, he's Sadiqi Johnson's that he did yeah. earlier in his tenure. You know, there was, and there were some things if you, if you know, if you believe what you read and hear and, you know, hear rumblings of that, like he used to think, oh, I can work with anybody and get them to perform well in my system. I think he's understanding that modern college basketball and 18 year olds and the way the system is in terms of one and done and et cetera. And AAU circuits, you know, that he's, t- he's not big enough to mold that system. So he needs to react to it. And I think he has modified his recruiting. I think he's modified his in-game. You don't have time to mold some of these guys. Yeah. Especially the one and dones. And that's the challenge that all these coaches face. And I remember when the recruiting stuff kind of fell apart because the book Richardson, the FBI, all that stuff, the thought people like, I'd rather get back to recruiting the three-star talent that's going to stick around for three years, four years. It's like, no, you don't. (laughs) You don't turn away the five-star guys. You don't turn away the four, four four-and-a-half-star guys. But you try to get the right ones. Exactly. And it's easier said than done. And the one thing that Miller's never seen to recruit was shooters. But he got one as a grad transfer, like we were talking about Max Hazard, and CJ mentioned that too, what that does for the team. So it's tough. Like every year when you go through this, when you're Arizona, and that's where I think the pressure for Sean Miller comes in, is that he was so close to a Final Four, if not a national championship, in what, three of his first six seasons with Arizona, five seasons with Arizona? So it's like the ceiling, like that. Well, that that was almost like your floor. It's like you were expected to compete every single year and eventually break through. I thought he'd break through long before now. Yeah. And then the last few seasons, we remember the disappointment against Xavier in the Sweet Sixteen, which they might have lost to Gonzaga in the Elite Eight that year. But they should have made it that far. So we'll remember. Well, they remember losing to Wichita State the year before that. That year, then DeAndre Ayton's season, where it was just disappointing, getting thrashed by Buffalo in the first round, and then last season, which was just bad. Like, that's the recency bias that you have, people will have with Sean Miller. And it's not great. It's disappointing. He went through a stretch early on where he had never lost to a lower-seeded team in the tournament. I think the first time he did was to Wisconsin the first year because Arizona was still a one-seed. Wisconsin was a two. So Which it's, they both should have been they are both one-seeds. One. So if, if that game was a Final Four game, right. I think Sean Miller has a much longer leash among a lot of fans. Absolutely. And the game still gets lost in the same way. And then that's the thing about college basketball. It's like if you make it to the semifinals, it's a successful season. If you lose, and I don't know what you'd call the round before. I mean, it's the, the Elite Eight. But you yeah. lose there in excruciatingly painful fashion where you play that game ten times, you're going to win five of them, if not maybe six or seven, depending on how it goes. It's, but that's the reality that Sean Miller and Arizona basketball are facing right now is that the, the trajectory, which was rising for a few years, seems to at best have plateaued, if not start to go the wrong direction and that's where this year's team and the hope is that the freshmen will continue to learn and grow and peak come March where these veterans like Max Hazard like Chase Jeter will find their like Ira Lee too will find their roles within this system and peak around March because the talent the talent is there it's just can it manifest itself into something special and that's where you know going up to ASU this weekend which we should talk about I don't know if that's the game to judge it by, other than the fact that the last time these two teams played, Arizona won 75-47 in McHale Center. Romello White was banged up for ASU, and they were an embarrassment. ASU was really bad that game. Arizona played well and just took it to them. 
it's going to be an interesting environment Saturday. At, I think it's Desert Financial Arena now is what they officially want to call it, but at McHale North. But it, it's a bigger game for ASU than it is for Arizona. So how does Arizona handle that? Coming off a weekend where it's like, hey, you should you should feel pretty good. You did some things, played well, and won, including a top 20 win, you know, on a top 25 opponent. Now you're ranked. People are thinking, hey, Arizona's pretty good again. How do you respond to that? Can they handle their own success? Because if they go out and lose to ASU Saturday, everything that happened against Colorado and Utah, throw it out the window. They're back to the Oregon State type of situation. Yeah, I mean, if they responded poorly to a loss in the Oregon State game after Oregon, this is a chance to respond, you know, how do you react to to success? Um, and the, re- the right answer is you probably shouldn't have that much of a difference in how you perform and how you approach. To, to, your, to your kind of broader point and going back, though, I think people should be re- remember, like, how many years did Lute Olsen... He he started some of those big upset years for you know losing to Steve Nash and Santa Clara as a, when Arizona was a two. Oh yeah, they were one of the first big upsets, and that happened like three, four, five times out of six years for one stretch. And he 90s. made it to Final Fours. He won a and national championship, and, and you do that. And oh. it's you know it's the same it's the same story, right? Um, and that's where it's just again to have some perspective. If Jamel Horn's shot goes in against UConn and Arizona gets to a Final Four, Miller's second season. He's never longer than one of the best coaches to never reach a Final Four. Yeah. And the and, narrative is different. And Yeah. And you, you lost with a chance to win uh, in on your last shot to the eventual national champion in the Elite Eight. And, you know, people are like, we can't get there. And, like, the, funny, the beauty and pain of college basketball is that all but one really good team ends their season with a loss, guys. And they're not even always really good. See, UConn, the Brandon Ashley year. Where Arizona would have smoked them if they would have got to them. Like they're yeah. good enough. Good enough. No, the NCAA tournament is not the best judge the, for who the, 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 the top team in college basketball is. The best team rarely wins the Olympics. Yeah, I was going to say the dirty secret is the best team almost never wins the it's ba- great NBA theater NCAA tournament. unless you have a really good team because you're just nervous the whole way through. Yeah. Like you'd rather be that team. Ah, I'm, just, I'm just happy to be here. Right? <laughs> no, I, I'd rather be a top seed with a chance to win, but it's stressful because odds are you won't. Right. But ASU. They are eleven and seven. They're two and three in conference. They beat Oregon State. They beat Utah. They lost to Colorado at home. Um, they're not a great team still. They're certainly on the outside of the tournament bubble, looking in right now. To them, this is their big chance. They're getting Arizona, their quote unquote rival, who's now ranked number twenty-two at home, with a chance to avenge the beatdown they had were handed just a few weeks ago. ASU is still the same team they were a few weeks ago. They're not a great shooting team. They're not consistent. They don't have a lot of size. I think they got Mickey Mitchell back, and that guy can be a pest at times. But this is a game Arizona should win. Yeah. I mean, the fundamentals of talent and, I I dare say, coaching um, mean that U of A should win this game, even on the road and handily. But the track record to date of this of this year's team for Arizona They've not done it on the road yet, so it's kind of a you know it's show a me. prove it game, yeah. yeah. And and I don't think that's unfair to you know keep pointing to that. You know, at some point they just got to get the, the the damn monkey off their back because um, they're they they're they're right there, and they just need something that keeps. Well, they keeps should have beat going. Oregon. Yeah, they could have beat Baylor. Yeah, and I mean it, even the St. John's neutral site game, like. That was somewhat of an anomaly, right? Um, yeah. So I think it'll be. I think the, the thing that I'm looking for in this game is I want to see 
what Sean Miller does in terms of those things we're talking about, in terms of adjustments, in terms of lineup selection, how he allocates minutes. To me, that's the most fascinating aspect of this game and will also tell us what the outcome likely is. Um, I'll be curious to see if they kind of maintain this switching uh, defense because I think that drives what lineups you put out there. And I don't know if, you know, Romello White is enough of a big man threat or if Remy Martin is too much of a jitterbug for us to feel comfortable with, like, a Zeke Naji or Ira Lee to sl- switch off onto him. Ira Lee looked great at the top of it. It was almost it almost had the effect of it looking like a matchup zone with those <laughs> switches, right? Yeah. Um, when you have the kind of length, too. And, and not like the Oregon game when Bill Walton yelled really loudly, oh, my God, a 1-3-1 trap <laughs> zone when they were clearly in man. Um, <laughs> well, why would you expect Bill Walton to know what's happening on the court? To be, when he's wearing to football be, helmets and all these other To be things. fair, he had CBD pu- uh, peanut butter. <laughs> he was just chomping on that whole... Wasn't it like long-expired <laughs> peanut butter that he was eating in that game? <laughs> the, the dankest peanut butter you could find. <laughs> but ASU is a type of team where, like, Romello White is their best big, and he's solid, but he's nothing special. And if Arizona can take it to him, get him into any kind of foul trouble, make him struggle, get him off the floor, then all of a sudden the Sundos become incredibly small and reliant on their guards. And... Last year, Ryan Martin was averaging like 40 points a game against Arizona. He hit everything. If he does that, they're competitive. If Alonzo Verge can play like that or Jalen House can do that, Rob Edwards is one of their key guys. He's been very inconsistent to bad most of the season. If those guys get going, ASU's a tougher team. Like, brilliant. If they can make shots, they'll be tougher to beat. But Anal- analysis. Yeah, that's what you get on Wildcat Radio 2.0. <laughs> but This content is gold, people. But, but Arizona defensively, to your point, like if they do their switching and all those things, they can make life really tough on ASU to not get as many open looks and really have to earn them. And that's where I don't know why they haven't been switching more to begin with. Because you see guys like Zeke Nagy's up he's pretty quick for a big guy. I release pretty quick for a big guy. Coloco could cover the length of the floor in two steps. So <laughs> the long way. He can just reach from end one end of end, the court yeah. to the other. Like Michael Jordan in Space Jam, he just doesn't <laughs> have to jump even. But when you have those types of options for teams like, like ASU that you're facing, it should probably be the way you go because you don't want to give those guys space. You want to make them – when you want to make them put on the floor and go into your bigs because Arizona does have size down low, you want to make it tough on guys who would rather make their money at the three-point line and win the game that way. So if you can do that and especially get Romello White in foul trouble and win the battle on the boards, it should be a – I don't want to say comfortable. They're not going to win by 30. But, I hope they do. Oh, that would be so nice. But but that's where this team is. Like, Arizona's a better team than ASU. They're more talented. They're better constructed. But we have to see them do this on the road. Yeah. Um, I'm going to... You're talking about, you know, if you want to see them do the switches on ASU, and that's the way you can maybe deal with Romello White and some of these other guys. I'm not worried about doing it for White, but just for the guards. For oh, their well, guards yeah, because I was going to say, here, if, if, if it were me and Sean Miller's shoes... I really like, because the, the difference why they couldn't, weren't doing that before kind of goes to your lineup again. Because if there's one of our bigs that does not have the ability to kind of switch on everybody, it's Chase Jeter. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's not a dig on Chase Jeter. Most guys, his, si- yeah. most guys his size are not Christian Coloco. <laughs> um, but we're, we're really getting the Christian Coloco jokes and love in here. I'm not joking. Fair. Neither am I. <laughs> um. But you know you want to know how you handle Romello White is you defensive rebound as a team, and if you if you don't let him get offensive rebounds, 
he's not going to beat you. Or, yeah, you go at him offensively, too. If he's, like, if, if Arizona, assume, let's assume Stone getting the same starting lineup as we saw last week. That means he's probably guarding, I would think, Zeke Naji. Or you're taking Romero White to the three-point line and saying, okay, well, now no one's going to rebound. So if Bobby Hurley has any type of intelligence, you would think Romero White would be on Zeke. Go at him. Zeke's yeah. quicker. Take it to him. Make them call those fouls because you get him into foul trouble. He's, he's their only viable, consistent big. And he says, like, he's not dominant. He's just fine. He's solid. He could play for Arizona, I think. But, but he's not the type of guy you could say, go win us the game. Whereas if you're Arizona, hey, Zeke, go. Right. Go at him. When Make you, him defend you. Yeah, I think, I think you're right in terms of how you approach Romello White on, when Arizona's on offense. And on defense, I, I would say I like the switching defense because I like kind of what it manufactured in terms of effort. And it kind of throws teams off when they're trying to run pick and rolls. The only thing uh, adjustment I would make is you absolutely just sag way off of R- Romello White's not beating you with a pick and pop 18 footer. No, and he's probably not going to put the ball on the floor and try to beat you off the dribble. And so he's the only one you do not do that, right? Um, and if you do that, I think that ASU will struggle to react to that on on offense. And you know, that's not to say they can't get hot and they have a you know they have good guards that are capable of hitting shots and and you know, scoring points. Mm-hmm. Um, but why not just, you know, if if they got Romello White running pick and rolls at the top of the key, that's... Sag. Yeah, sag. <laughs> and you're also taking him to some extent away from what his biggest strength is, which he's a freak offensive rebounder. Yeah. Um, now, if they're taking a bunch of three-pointers, he's going to c- collect a lot because it's almost easier to offensive rebound from running in out there. But if you're, you know, if you have... Uh, Christian Coloco or Ira Lee or Zeke Naji, you say your job is to box him out and secondarily go get the ball. You know, that's that's not, you know, that's a way to to really mitigate him as a threat. And then if you execute on offense and def- and the beauty of that defense that we saw in the, the Colorado game too that we talked about a lot is it got them going in transition. And this team thrives in it. We saw a couple of those three, four second Josh Green possessions, right? And even the Max Hazard pull ups in two seconds in a possession. Which are for good shots for someone like that in transition. For Max Hazard when he's on heat check, sure. Sometimes I question when Nico, you know, as the point guard does a no pass pull up three. Actually, I have a thought on Nico. But before no. that, Brett, if he plays well, Arizona's gonna win the game. But if you retweet this podcast, not you, Brett, but you the listener get a chance to win a Gronk bobblehead. That sounds amazing. Yes, the rules are thus. From now until January 31st, anyone who retweets the podcast on Twitter gets an entry. There's no entry limit. So Bryant Conger, who does some podcasts for us, does some shows, he's going to pull a name out of a hat. I don't know if it's going to be like a derby hat, a bowler hat, a you know what kind of hat, a sombrero, but some type of headwear. Could be a yarmulke for all I know. I don't know what he's going to pull the name out of. I'd like it to be a Sherlock Holmes hat. Ooh. You should go with like an Abraham Lincoln hat. I mean, you could pull a rabbit out of that kind of hat, too. True. Looks he like could, a magician's He's hat. just reaching, pulling out a rabbit. I was like, that's no, I was looking for a name. Like, how'd this rabbit get in there? <laughs> <laughs> that name will be pulled out of whatever kind of hat on Periscope at halftime of the Arizona-Washington State game. So make sure you retweet the podcast. Make sure you're listening. Subscribe to the podcast. Retweet the podcast. Get a chance to win a Gronk bobblehead, which is really cool. I have one. I didn't win it from the podcast. I just got it on my own. But... My thought about Nico, and what kind of, for as it pertains to this game, is Arizona's defending of point guards, it really wasn't that bad last weekend. 
McKinley Wright did not destroy them. Right? And Nico, we saw it against Peyton Pritchard against Oregon. He was playing pretty well defensively. Pritchard got going late in that game because you're not going to hold him down forever. But Arizona, when you're facing ASU, Remy Martin is the, the, you know, the straw that stirs the drink, if you will. I just rolled my eyes really hard. You did. So hard that your like, head moved backwards, too. Well, I had to make sure the listeners could see it through the, <laughs> through the microphone. But, but that, like Arizona, when, you can, when your guards play defense, it makes everything that much better for you. Your bigs aren't set up to fail. They're not having to recover for you or make up for that, which leaves rebounding opportunities, fouls, all these sorts of bad things. If Nico can hang with Remy Martin, and they did a few weeks ago, he's shown he can hang with some of these guards. Arizona's going to be in a much better place. And that's part of the, I think, the excitement of this team's potential is that if Nico can defend most point guards, maybe not all of them, the ones he can't defend, Dylan Smith or Josh Green, like Arizona is built to beat a team like ASU, who relies on their guards, who aren't amazing 6'5", 6'6", guards. They're just guards, good guards, who aren't locked down like dead-eye shooters, but they're, they can be good. Well, Arizona has the guys to, defend, to D them up, and the weakest link in that group is supposed to be Nico, and he's been playing harder, better defense of late. Yeah, and I, uh, a couple times over the weekend, I zeroed in and kind of watched him on defensive possessions, and he kind of suffers from some of the young player things of like standing and watching once in a while, mm-hmm. and that's, that's where some of my frustration comes from. And it's like a lot of times that happens with the guys that are most athletically gifted, they, you know, they've, they've, they've grown up in a culture and an environment where their gifts against the lowly average person allows them to get away with bad habits. Yeah. Um, but I did notice his, his effort was seemed to be more focused. And he's one of those people that I think that the switching actually helped in terms of maintaining consistent focus. Keeps him engaged. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and it's not like we have like one lockdown defender. You know, we have Josh Green, who I think is our probably best, and maybe Dylan Smith. Like, there's no Kadeem Allen, there's no Rondé, there's no Nick Johnson on this team. And Kadeem Allen was no Rondé. And, it, I mean, when Rondé, Thomas Jefferson, and Aaron Gordon, and Nick Johnson were all, like, oh, that was just Good Lord. That I, I have a friend who described that watching their on-ball defense as breathtaking, <laughs> which is an interesting adjective, so, but appropriate. But they don't have that. No. So, but. So I think that. If you take a similar kind of approach and you get that kind of focus and effort from Nico on defense along with the other guys, assuming they have a similar effort and focus, I, you know, if you have that consistency, I don't see us losing the game, even on the road. Um, you know, things can always go sideways. but And they, things have gone sideways in that arena. Yeah. Better Arizona teams have lost there to worse ASU teams for no reason at all. It's a rivalry game, if you will, even though you disagree that they are a basketball rival. <laughs> They're not a basketball rival, but it is a rivalry game. Can that make any sense? I, not really. (laughs) Fair enough. Brett, we're going to be there at the game. So if you're listening, hit us up. Let's, we'll we'll catch up with you as long as, you know, you're nice. We always like to meet some listeners, especially if you like our show. So hit us up, Wildcat Radio on Twitter. I'm the Adam Green on Twitter. You're... Uh, Brett D. Berry, I believe. So, yeah, if you're going to be at the game at McHale North, let us know. We'll come say hi. But what's your prediction for the game? Like, what do you think happens? I think it's a fairly consistent cruise to victory by 15 to 20. Yeah. yeah I, and I don't think they get within – maybe they get within 10 
once or twice in the second half, make a couple of kind of pushes. But I, this is also me semi-optimistically hoping that we've learned all of those lessons <laughs> of consistency. And, you know, it, in ASU U of A games, things can always go sideways and weird things always happen. They don't always, though. Like, the good Arizona teams, and that's the thing about the rivalry games, like, the good Arizona teams have generally fared well against the less good ASU teams. Now, there was the year... Um, well, actually, the McConnell years, there was one of them where they did lose. So I think it was that there was the Jordan Baczynski block on T.J. McConnell in overtime. Mm. There was the game, I think the next was a Jermaine Marshall, rest in peace, where he just went well, he off. Went, he had like 28 points. In like the last five minutes of the game in overtime, it seemed like. Yeah, it's like that has happened. But generally, unless it's been a pretty good ASU team against an Arizona team in some weird place, the Wildcats have fared okay. Like last year... I remember the game. Arizona wasn't nearly as good as ASU, and that game went to overtime. So I'm, I'm with you on this one. I, the number that was in mind was like 72 to 60, where I think Arizona doesn't necessarily blow them out, but is in control most of the way. Maybe it's you know a five- or six-point game for much of the second half, and then Arizona you know, pushes that lead to 15. It gets down to 10 or 12, but it's never really in doubt in the final minutes, which would be nice because it wouldn't be it's, – it's not a big win if Arizona gets, but it's, it's satisfying – but it is important because it shows it would be just another step that says, hey, maybe they have learned things. Like, yeah, it's not the most hostile environment they're going to face all season, but that would be a win against a non-terrible team away from the McHale Center. Yeah, it, it's not, it wouldn't be a signature win or a foundational win, but it could be a building block win. Yeah, if that and that's sense. where they're at right now, Arizona, yeah. because we each think, every one of us who's been on this podcast today, believes in this team's potential and their chance to make a deep run come March. But we just want to see more consistency out of them and want to see them do it away from McHale Center. So this is their next opportunity to do so. And, of course, if they can take care of business against ASU, then the Washington road trip is looming, and that's going to be a tough one as well. They're all tough. There's no easy road win in the Pac-12. I think that there's no easy road win in college basketball. We've seen that all over the place. Good teams are losing. All last weekend, good teams were losing to unranked teams, the teams they shouldn't have lost to. So as upsetting as it has been to watch Arizona struggle at times, they're not alone. So maybe that's something to take from. Like, I guess an ideal world is they're all struggling. Arizona's perfect. That'd be better. But just the way college basketball is this season and maybe where it's going in the future, and you've, you've talked about it before, where the gap between teams 20 and 40 or so isn't that big, maybe this is the way it is, where you're not going to run through a schedule too easily. You're going to lose five, six, seven games. That doesn't mean you can't be good in March. It doesn't mean you can't win five in a row to get to the championship or four in a row to get to the final four. So as down as we've been on Arizona at times and as down as we'll be if they lose this game on Saturday and we do this show next week, I guess as long as the numbers like them and they keep winning enough games and get to the tournament, they have as good a chance as anybody. Yeah. And on the plus side, no matter how bad our season has gone, or how good it's gone. We haven't had a player grab a metal chair in the middle of a brawl to go after fans. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the season is still kind of young. That video is crazy, by the way. Who would be, let's see, if Arizona's players, who'd be most likely to do that? Like, obviously no one. We don't think anybody I mean, in Arizona would be that stupid. No, <laughs> I, I was going to say nobody would even try to start a brawl with Arizona for fear of the wrath of Christian Coloco. That's true. Like, he'd probably grab the chair, but it would, like, disintegrate in his hands due to his superhuman strength. Yeah. So. <laughs> or he would just look at you and choke you with the force like Darth Vader. <laughs> he just stares at you like, my bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Kristen Coloco, the enforcer. <laughs> 
whatever happens on Saturday, hopefully in Arizona, when we each think that the Wildcats are going to take care of business in Tempe, find us if you can. We'll be out there. But whatever happens, we're going to talk about it next week. And until then, bear down. Bear down.